If you will, take your Bibles. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We are making our way through this book of the Revelation. And uh, um, the series is entitled, The Unveiling. We are not find ourselves in the midst of uh, Jesus' words to the church. Message today is from the church at Thyatira, entitled, you're going to love it, The Busted Church. Busted Church. If you found that and you're able, if you'll stand to honor the reading of God's word, let's get the scripture in front of us. <clears throat> to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a flaming fire, excuse, fiery flame, and whose feet are like fine bronze, says, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. And your last works are greater than your first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, prophetess, and teaches and deceives my slaves to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her practices. I will kill her children with the plague. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines the minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who haven't known the deep things of Satan, as they say, I do not put any other burden on you. But hold on to what you have until I come. The victor and the one who keeps my words to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in your word, I find today the desire of my heart that we who can hear should listen to your spirit. And I pray for your spirit to be prevalent today. I pray for your spirit to impact us today, to change us, help us no, Father, I pray that you will remove from us any hindrances to hearing your word in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation constitute Jesus' letters to seven different churches in seven different states of problem or ministry. Several weeks ago, we talked about the church of Ephesus being the black, backslidden church. Then we talked about the beat-up church at Smyrna. Last week, we talked to the church at Pergamum, the bargaining church that bargained with culture. Today, we're talking about the busted church. Don't you think about that 
the busted church. You know, when someone commits a crime, they try to hide it. When they do something wrong, you, you try to hide it. If you, if, you, if you disobeyed your parents, you tried to hide it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And one day, you get caught up with. And when you get caught up with, we say they got busted. Whether it's a teenager, whether it's a criminal, or today, whether it's a church. As I look at the church at Thyatira, I think the busted church really applies because it seems to me that they thought they were fooling everybody in the community. They thought they were getting away with some things. And I wonder if that speaks a word to the church in America of the 21st century who think they were getting away with some things. So today I want to be very simplistic about this. And I'm going to just give you two thoughts about this church at Thyatira, the busted church. First of all, is the reality of the busted church. The reality of the busted church. Now, yet you have two states of mind today. You can either live in reality or you can live in fantasy. You can live in fact. You can live in fiction. You can live what's really happening to you in the real or you can imagine the way things are. The reality is that Jesus came to earth to redeem mankind. The reality is Jesus put churches like this one here. He put churches in place to redeem, to be a a part of the redemption process in redeeming mankind. Now, we can throw away everything else in our whole church ministry except that which helps redeem mankind. Oops. We throw away everything except that part which helps us redeem, be a part of the redemption process. We become his church. It seems to me as I read this letter of the church of Thyatira that they have moved into Never Never Land. And I'll suggest three things to you that lets me, that reminds us of what this reality is. The reality of the busted church is number one, externally they look good. Externally, you look good from the outside, you look good. It was in 1990, 91, 92, about 20 years ago that my family and I, at that time our children were young, we went down to Orlando, Florida. We went to MGM Studios. Now, it could have changed in the last 20 years. I know we have some part-time residents of uh, Orlando over here, but it could have changed in the last 20 years. But at that time, in the MGM Studios, one of the rides was called Catastrophe Canyon. Is that still down there? Catastrophe Canyon. Now, you would get, as I recall, and it's like I say, it's 20 years, you, you, you went to this particular place, you rode out to this particular place, and up on the mountain you had this view, and all of a sudden an explosion happened, and a million gallons of water came your way. Now, you know their engineers had it all for so it would go around you. But it came your way. Man, it was, it was a real rush if you saw how that happened. But what I want to bring you to is that on around of that ride, you would, you would ride by these houses. They were immaculate. You drive down the center, and on both sides, they were just beautiful, freshly painted. They just looked gorgeous. Wouldn't you love to live in that house? And then you would drive around back, and what you would find is these houses were fronts for the MGM studio to put on camera. 
They were just merely the facade. When you got around back, it was two by fours and didn't have any plumbing. I mean, didn't have any bedrooms. was never finished. Just a facade. From the outside, from the front, it looked good. It gives us a new meaning to the, to the phrase, looks are deceiving. My mom, never a deep theologian, but certainly a pure pragmatist, said, you know, son, beauty skin deep, uglies to the bone. You see, when Jesus looked at this church at Thyatira, he said, look, I know your works. And then he gave four ingredients of your works. He said, I know your works, your love. Your faithfulness, your service, and your endurance. And it reminds us that our Lord Jesus sees and knows. Now, here's what I will, here's what I will say to you is that we can put on fronts that people see what we do externally, but something's different inside. I'm reminded of when, um, when Samuel anointed David, 1 Samuel. He went to Jesse and he said, Jesse, the Lord's told me that one of your sons is to be anointed. Jesse paraded all his oldest sons. Surely this oldest guy, he, he was intelligent. He was successful. He was everything that anybody could want. And, he, and Jesse paraded him out. And Samuel said, oh, he looks good, but he's not the one. And he went through all of his sons. And finally Samuel said, do you not have another son? He said, well, yeah, I do, but he's kind of the run of the bunch. And it is in that context that we know this scripture. Man looks on the outside. But God looks on the heart. Man sees what's visible, but God sees what is invisible. You see, folks, this scripture reminds us that we can pull the wool over people's eyes. We can pull the wool over the eyes of our community. We can put on a good front. We can put on a good show. We can make them see only what we want them to see. Because externally it looks good. In my studies and my prayer this week, I declare to you this came to my mind after 35 years behind a pulpit. I wonder, I just wonder, if... As we watch people come into the church, join the church, take part, and then in short order go out the back door. I wonder if what they found on the inside was not what they perceived on the outside. I remember gathering eggs with my mamma. And I was a young guy. You know what I discovered? There is a world of difference in a rotten egg and a good egg. I'm, when I was a boy, I couldn't tell the difference. When I was a little kid, I just we were gathering eggs, and we'd find eight or ten eggs in a nest, and I'd pick one up one day, and she said, put that one back. That'll be the nest egg. I said, what does it matter? She goes, that's rotten. Dumb me. I hadn't changed much over the years. I picked it up, and I squeezed it a little bit. And it busted. Have you ever smelled a rotten egg? Here's what I'll tell you. You can't wash it off. It stays with you. You see, because I didn't see what was on the inside. You see, the church at Thyatira gave all the evidences of being good externally. 
In fact, Jesus says, I know your works. And we think that's a compliment. We think he was complimenting them because they, they, they said, okay, you know, we stay busy. We give the aura of success. We do everything just like we think we should do it. But just because things look good externally does not mean that you're on mission for God. Does not mean you're fulfilling God's mission. Does not mean that you're God's man. Does not mean you're God's woman. Does not mean that you're God's church. The reality of the busted church is that Jesus knows. Externally, look good. But watch this. Internally, they look godless. Internally, they look godless. You know, what's on the inside is what counts. It's not how much show and how much flush, fluff we have. What's, what's inside. Now, I want you to get this picture. Because Jesus... If you look in verse 18, he's the son of God. He's the one who has eyes of fiery flame and has feet like fine brass, which tells us he is divinity. He is the one that sees all, and he's the one that judges righteously. And when he says, I know your works, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I know the truth. I know what you're like inside, and I know what you're like outside. I know all you do. I know what everybody else says. I know what everybody else sees. But I know. For years, we have read the Scripture when Jesus says, I know your works, your love, your faithfulness, service, and endurance. We have taken that to mean that he was complimenting them. Perhaps. But what if? What if, instead of complimenting them, he was calling them on the carpet? Let's just take one. He says, I know your works, and the first ingredient is your love, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. So let's just take that one. What if what he is really saying is that, church, now listen, I know the love that you're offering. I know the love that you put out there, but it doesn't measure well, it doesn't measure up to what, Brother Jerry? It doesn't measure up to the standard that Jesus gave us in the upper room. In the upper room, he said, Greater love hath no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. In the upper room, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. I wonder how different the love is today that we share for one another than what Jesus calls us to share. I wonder how different the average church's love is. I mean, we show love as long as people walk like us and talk like us and believe like us. We love people as long as they don't get in our parking spot or sit in our pew or take our place in the Sunday school class. We love people when they're lovable, but Jesus said, I love you when you were not lovable. In fact, Romans 5, it says God demonstrated his love for us in this way. That while we were sinners, while we were unlovable, while nobody wanted us, I sent my only son to die for you. Now we could go through these other three or four things, love, faithfulness, service, and perhaps they don't all measure up. And you know what's worse than that? Think about it. If he is complimenting the church, it sounds good because then it says, hey, and you know what? Not only do I know, know your works, love, faithfulness, service, and endurance, 
But I know that you're getting better at whatever you're doing because your last works are better than your first works. But what if it's an indictment? What if it's an indictment on you today about the love that you offer, the service that you don't give, the faithfulness you don't offer? What about it? If, if it's an indictment and he says your last are, are more than your first, Internally, they look godless because it seems to me as I read this that they were not loving the lost. That they were not faithful to the cause of Christ. That they were not serving poor people. They were not enduring. Could it be that he leveled an indictment? of what he saw inside the church at Thyatira, could it be that he's leveling an indictment of the church in America today that is so rich and so weak? Could it be that he's leveling an indictment of the churches in Alabama? Could it be that he's leveling an indictment on the church in Hueytown? Could it be that he's leveling an indictment on you. I know your works. And when you read the scripture for this passage, you go, well, let's get on past all this bad stuff. But Jesus is not through. Jesus never gets through until he's through completely. Then he says, besides all this, I got something else against you. I have one more thing against you. Now, the word in the, in the Holman Christian Standard is but... I don't remember the particular translations, but that word translates nevertheless, however. And he says, but I have this against you. And when I read this, I know that Jesus is not a Baptist. Because Jesus calls names. He doesn't say them, they, and a lot of people. He says, you tolerate King James suffers. Um... New King James says, you allow this woman, Jezebel. He says it's only one person. She's got issues. She's leading her people, it's right there, into immorality and idolatry. You tolerate this woman, Jezebel, who calls herself self-proclaimed. She's a self-proclaimed leader. And she teaches and deceives my slaves. And she teaches them and deceives them to commit immorality, sexual immorality, and to eat meat sacrificed to idols, idolatry. Putting someone else in front of Jesus. And it is, is in this context that we know he's displeased. Now Jezebel, when you hear the name Jezebel, you go back to the Old Testament with Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah. You understand that nobody names their daughter Jezebel today because she's one of the most ruthless and wicked women of all time. She gives women a bad name. This Jezebel did the same. And you know what the truth is? This Jezebel usurped the authority of both the church and the angel that he wrote the letter to, the pastor. I think that's important. You see, we live in a day when, when we don't know anything about authority anymore as a people. We don't know anything about authority anymore except what we can muscle in and get. 
I read the book this week by Dr. Michael Catt. Michael Catt is the pastor of Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. You may or may not remember Sherwood Baptist Church. You'll remember the movie Flywheel, Face of the Giants, and Fireproof. End of the service, I'm going to give you a clip of what's coming out on, on September the 30th, their newest movie, Courageous. I want you to think about this. That is a church that have, that have people in it of some notoriety. They started Sherwood Pictures and started making these movies. Several thousand saw Flywheel. Several hundred thousand millions saw Facing the Giants. And multi-millions around the world saw Fireproof. These are people with notoriety in God's family. And in that book, Michael Katz says, you know what? And these folks have never forgotten and never tried to usurp the authority of the church or the pastor. You see, folks, God has a reason and a way to put things together. He puts his angel, he puts his leaders in place. And when he does... Things work well, and when they don't, he's going to bust us. But there's one more thing here that we need to see quickly. Not only are they externally, they look good. Not only internally do they look godless, but fraternally, they look fractured. Now, we don't use the word fraternal anymore. But these college guys know, they know about fraternities. The guys that get in the house, got a common cause. They do things together. They enjoy being together. You know, that almost sounds like a church. Sounds like the church should be. Do things together. Love being together. A common cause. Jesus gave us this common cause. Go into the world and make disciples. Go into the world and make disciples. Their unity at at Thyatira, their harmony, their very fellowship had been fractured into two groups. Now, this, this is not going to be on the screen, but let me just tell you what I see here. I was startled when I saw this this week. Third time I've preached through Revelation. First time I saw it. Two groups in the church. And I believe there are two groups in every church. The first group is the corrupt. The corrupt. It's very clear from, these te- from this text that those who followed her are corrupted, and they're going to receive judgment from the Father. It says, <clears throat> "It says, I will throw her, verse 22, into a sick bed, with the, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her practices. Did you hear this? Not of their practices, of her practices. And I will kill her children with the plague. Make no mistake about it, folks. Please listen. If you don't get anything yesterday, please listen to this for, for, for the sake of eternity. Her name can be Jezebel. It can be Nicholas. It can be Balaam. It can be John. It can be Jim. It can be Jerry. But when a, when a church puts any kind of authority into someone who is not God's appointed leader, corruption will follow. And one thing that you can say about a corrupt, a corrupt, self-appointed leader, they're skilled at deceiving people and getting people to follow them. They're skilled at division inside of the family. 
And it's interesting to me that he says, uh, hey, I gave her time to repent, but she refused. It's interesting to me that he said, I'll throw her into a sickbed, and I'll even kill her children. And I will give each of you according to your works. This is the corrupted group. Seems to me in the 21st century, every church got them. Just can't seem to follow God's man and God's plan. Got to make it up as we go. And normally it winds up in corruption. I always knew about that group as I read this, Don. But I never saw this this way. Watch this. And then he simply says, in verse 24, I say to the rest of you. That's the committed group. That is the group that wants to see God do a work. That is the group that has not followed the evil leadership, not accepted the evil teaching. Jesus says, I know who you are. I've not forgotten you. You may feel like you're beat up. You may feel like you're beat down. But I know you're keeping the faith. I know you're hanging in there. I know you're trying to reach people. I know you're trying to touch people. I'll put this in simple terms for us today, folks. You may not like my terminology, but here's the truth. Inside everybody, congregation, the two groups are those who want to follow Christ. And when they follow Christ, they live like Christ, they respond like Christ, they think like Christ, and they act like Christ. And those who don't. Generally, those who don't have their own agenda, have their own plan, have their own way. And I tell you what I've discovered. We could have 32 people get saved this morning. And, in a, and for that corrupt group, it would be, oh, they weren't the right people. It's going to change our church. You see, folks, the reality of the church at Thyatira is they were busted. The reality of the busted church is this. God doesn't just bust us to leave us like we are. I don't know about you. All this may have just rolled off you like water off a duck's back. But when I was studying and when I was praying working through it, I was convicted. I was convicted that perhaps we could see Hueytown at Thyatira in some measure. Misplaced priorities. Misplaced focus. But I'm so thankful that, and I would, let me, can I just take just 30 seconds to tell you this? I struggle with this message. And uh, uh, on Thursday, I had, you know, Karen Davis had surgery. I was struggling with this message Thursday morning. And I came in early and I worked a little bit and wanted to go over there and started over toward Brookwood and just kind of carried it on my mind. And God gave me the encouragement from right here forward. God gave me this encouragement just to remind us that for every church, for everybody, for Hueytown Baptist Church, he has called us to be in the plan of redemption, of reaching lost people, of turning them from hell to heaven, of making irreligious people, turning them into people who follow Christ, giving people a hope and a future. That is our mission. So, Let's look at the second one. The response to, for, and through 
the busted church. The response to and through whatever preposition you want to put there, the busted church. Jesus has no interest. I want you to hear this. Jesus has no interest in tearing us down and leaving us. He has no interest in showing us our weakness and leaving us right there to cry in our soup. He is still the helper. He is still the healer. He is still the great physician. He is still the savior, and he's still the captain of this ship. And as such, as such, when he busts us, what he wants to bring about in us is a spirit of repentance, a spirit of renewal, and a spirit of revival. And what happens when he starts working in hearts? When he gets when he starts cracking away at a cold heart and all of a sudden you, you begin to feel that spiritual urge that you haven't felt in years or he melts the cold heart and all of a sudden things are just different and you know some of the things that you've done and some of the things you said, some of the things you thought were outside of his will and he begins to stir in you. Here's what happens in you and in the church. First of all, the Savior, the Savior will be exalted. The Savior will be exalted. When I read these seven letters, I am reminded that every letter Jesus is to, what identifies himself to every church as to what that church needs, to the church at Thy Tower, he says, I am the Son of God. That's the only time in Revelation that term is used. Did you know that? You know why? Because it's the only time in, the, in these churches that he had to deal with a personality like Jezebel because he knew that Jezebel had such authority and had such a following that it would be difficult to, except for a divinity to bring him back. To bring them back. You see, folks, I want you to think about this just for the brevity of time. When God, when God breaks us and busts us, when we in turn lift him up and exalt him higher, you know what'll happen? All people will be drawn to him. Most of the time, and it's with good intentions, we get so sidetracked that we don't think about lifting him up. Or we can lift up other things. May I say this to you? If revival is going to come, if renewal is going to come, if restoration is going to come in anybody, it is not going to come through activities. It's not going to come through a, a, a music ministry or a student ministry. It's not going to come through Sunday school. It's not going to come through finances. Here's the truth. If there is to be revival, it is going to be because we choose as individuals to lift up the Savior. In fact, last Thursday night, the deacons and I sat around and we talked and I put two questions to them. Two questions. We're praying about it for about two weeks when we have our next deacons meeting and we're going to flesh it out. Here are the two questions. What, what, what can we do as a church to glorify God in this community? Well, that's a novel thought. What can we do to glorify God in this community? May I just say, if what we're doing is not glorifying God, we may start scratching it. 
Now, the men are going to get together. We're going to pray about it. Probably the first thing we'll do is call us to engage in prayer over a season of time to see what God wants to do. But how can we glorify God in this community? How can we show God to this community? How can we introduce Jesus to this community? Our task is to glorify God in our worship. Our task is to glorify God in our ministry. Our, gla- our task is to glorify God in our, in our uh, uh, education, in our, in our mission, in our evangelism, in everything we do, our fellowship. And when we seek to exalt Him and we get our eyes off ourselves, things will change. I mentioned to you last week about United, the youth movement in Hueytown. Eighty kids here. We're going after God. Seventy to eighty kids here just going after God. And when the speaker got up, he said, You know what, folks, we spend too much time looking at a through a window at other people. Instead of looking through a window, we need to look at a mirror. If we look at a mirror, we'll see why things have gotten off. Because you see, when we see ourselves in God's mirror, we will see ourselves in light of Him. And it will bust us, it will break us. And we're going to have to be busted and broken before we can be molded and made. Until, until you and I come to the place that we can't figure it out. Until we come to the place that we can't plan it out. Until we come to the place that we can only pray it out. God's not going to move. Because when we pray, we'll exalt Him. And I don't mean, and I mean no disrespect. I don't mean praying people out of heaven. I mean that we come together and we pray people out of hell. We pray people out of addiction. We pray people out of bondage then God can get loose. And the church at Thyatira, he was lifted up. And you see that as the Son of God, the one with eyes eyes of fiery flame, feet like brass. There's much more. But I want to give you another word of encouragement. The response to the churches, to the busted churches, that you start exalting Jesus. And don't forget this. Not only will the saints be exalted, I mean the sinners be, uh, the Savior be exalted, the saints will be embraced. Don't you love this? Look here. It says, verse 24, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to the teaching, haven't known the deep things of Satan, I do not put any other burden on you, but hold on. I'm coming. You see, the the loving Savior, the loving God embraces those people who are faithful. He knows your heart. Remember, man looks on the outside, man sees what's visible, but God looks on the inside, and God sees what is invisible. You see, he knows those who have kept true. He knows those who held on. And for those, listen, there'll be encouragement, there'll be help, there'll be hope, and there'll be a future. If you've ever had, I'm just going to ask you, if you've ever had a, a problem where the world spins, seemed to spin out of control, 
then you know what it means to have the peace of God inside. For you see, when the world's spinning out of control and you have the peace of God inside, you can make it through. He is our strength. He is our protector. He's our rock. He's our healer. And you know the one I like the best? He's our rear, rear guard. That's what it says in the Old Testament. You know what that means? He watches you back. He loves us. He wants the best for us. He has a plan for us. But how many times in the Old Testament did he have a plan for his people and they turned their back on him and so he changed his plan? And the church who responds to being busted not only will the the Savior be exalted, the saints be embraced, but the sinners will be exposed. I admire this about our Lord in in Scripture. God calls names. He knows little of they and them and a lot of people. He calls her Jezebel. And not only does he name them, but he names their sin. Well, now watch this, folks. You think, we think that when somebody, a preacher or someone calls a sin by name or a person by name, we think that they're trying to castigate them. But the very purpose of calling someone by name, the very purpose of calling a sinner, I mean a sin by its name, is redemption. Is the grace of Almighty He always gives the immoral and the idolatrous time to repent. He's given you time to repent. I want you to think about something. In the context of how can we glorify God in this community? What can you do? No, I'm not, I'm not hanging at that. Here's the question. What will you do? First of all, do you know that you have a Savior in your heart? Do you know you have a relationship with God through a Savior? If you don't, here's the deal. Jesus left heaven. Jesus came to earth. Jesus lived a perfect life. And Jesus died the death for us. For the sin of man, that would be your sin. Because you know what? The Bible says you're a sinner. Jesus was then resurrected from the, from the dead, and now he lives in heaven. History proves this. Basically, when the evidence of history tells me that somebody raised, was raised from the dead, I'm going to go with that guy. If you've never invited Christ to your life, here's the thing. Jesus will come in and he will forgive your sin. He will give you ever lasting life he will walk with you we sing in the garden great old song and he walks with me and he talks to me and he tells me I'm in his own and the joy we share we tarry there none other has ever known here's the deal that's a great song but is it true does he walk with you does he talk with you and does he tell you that you're his own and do you share joy because do you tarry with him in your private place 
You see, the Word of God exposes us for what we really are. Come and sit in a pew or in a business meeting or a Sunday school and act like we know God well and we haven't spoken to Him in a week. If you've never invited Christ in your life, today's the time. Over the next bit, you'll probably hear us do many more things like this. I will tell you, a little disappointed. Five backpacks. I feel like we can do better. I feel like we should do better. That said, I'm praying for these five families. I'm praying that through what, has, what is going to be given, it'll be given from a heart that's free and full. It'll be given from a heart where people are concerned about other people instead of about me. There'll be other things that we'll be doing to touch our community. Here's the deal. Will we be involved in the kingdom work or will we? Or will we go on with business as usual? I'm tired of business as usual. I hope the Lord will speak to your heart today. Let's pray.